Hey, Forge family. In the previous episode, we just put out last week of 1 Peter. That was number 10. The Apostle Peter carried over his instructions on submission. Remember, he started in, in chapter 2, and he, and he started with uh, instructions to free men and women. Then he turned to slaves, and then he gave Jesus as the example. Now he's addressing wives. Okay, last week he, we addressed the wives and the husbands. The wives of unbelieving husbands, that were many of those were in the church, and husbands who were believing and in the church. Okay, and so he's addressing the wives of the unbelieving husbands. Those women had very few rights in the culture, and they were so out of compliance in the culture because they had embraced Jesus without the approval sometimes of their husbands. So in chapter 3, verse 1, Peter had said, you be submissive. You rank yourself under your husband, and then you stay married to him. This, this husband of yours is willfully not persuaded about Jesus, but you stay with him, and you live in front of him. And it's that lovely, winsome, genuine, transformed life of the wife that may win the husband without a word. Now, obviously, husbands were watching and testing their wives. And Peter just said, look, you, you be chaste and you be respectful. Those two things were not common in the Roman Empire amongst the women, amongst the wives. Okay, And then he turns and he says, the focus of all this is out of the hidden person of the heart where you wives are being made beautiful by the Holy Spirit. You make choices about how you... Uh, appear, you know, don't put your time and your money and your effort into making your hair fabulous or wearing flashy gold jewelry or changing clothes four, five, six times a day to be a beautiful woman for your husband. That's not the point of your walk with Christ. Instead of the external beauty, Peter says you exhibit the gentle and quiet spirit that comes from that hidden place of the heart. Then in verse 7, Peter turns and brings all that teaching on submission, starting in chapter 2, and he dumps it on husbands, because he says, likewise. <laughs> all right? So husbands, believing husbands in the churches, you know, if you're going to be submissive, you be submissive to God. You rank yourself appropriately under the Lord God Almighty. And again, you do that out of the hidden, the hidden inner person of the heart. And then he instructs the husbands and he says, you honor your wife as a joint heir in Christ. She gets equal inheritance. Her salvation is just as valuable and it cost Jesus just as much as yours did. And the result is, your prayers, husbands, your prayers will not be hindered. So let's pray together. Ford family and and uh, those of you who are listening scattered abroad, we're going to pray and prepare our hearts for this next podcast, number 11. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, Lord the Spirit, Lord, many in the Forge family, many of those who are listening and scattered abroad uh, are in marriages, have been in marriages. Those are in their midst, Lord, who long to be married. And, and then there are young people who someday soon will 
be married. Lord, all of us need the instruction and the disciplines from the inner hidden place of the heart on how to be a husband, how to be a wife, how to get ready for that. Pour that in. And now, Lord, prepare our hearts to receive the next segment here in First Peter. Lord, we don't want to get it in our head. We want it to penetrate down in the heart. We don't want to be those who go, uh-huh, uh-huh, I got that. Instead, Lord, we want to be those in the heart that go, yes, Lord, because we really get it. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's read together, Forge. First Peter chapter 3, verses 8 to 12. It says, to sum up, or finally, okay, let all be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted and humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. For you are called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. For let him who means to live, to love life and see good days, refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking guile, and let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and his ears attend to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So Peter here is concluding this section. He's not finishing his, his, his uh, circular letter that he sent to the churches in Asia Minor that ran from the coast of, of the Mediterranean all the way to the coast of the Black Sea. All those churches that got this circular letter to the churches there that he had visited. Okay, He's just saying in conclusion, this is going to conclude the section I'm preaching about submission. And he sets out the behaviors of unity for the church. And he puts them right out front. He says, I want you to be harmonious. Well, harmonious just means like-minded. Okay? Um, now, does that mean we all have to say the same thing, think the same thing? Nah. No, we're not robots. Okay? We're not, we're not uh, you hit a play button and you get the exact answer back every time you hit it. You know, Paul addressed that in, in Philippians chapter 3, verse 15. He says, let us, therefore, as many as are mature, have this attitude. And if anything in you has a different attitude, you see you know, a diverse thing that you believe, a diverse thing that you're grip that's got a hold of you, you know what? God will reveal that also to you. You know, the Lord is the Lord of his church, and he is the one that's going to produce like-mindedness so that you begin to, to resonate together. Okay, the second thing he says, be sympathetic. Well, that's a word that means fellow feeling. Okay? You rejoice with those that rejoice. You weep with those that weep. So in times of stress, in sorrow, and in joy, you enter in from the heart. Okay. Thirdly, he calls us to be brotherly. So this, here in the text, he uses a general term in the text, so it includes, it's inclusive of brothers and sisters. All right, he's not, it's not a male thing. It's not a gender thing. It's just family, brothers and sisters, we're to love one another as if we are blood kin in the best of circumstances. And he used the same phrasing and same passionate thing in chapter 1, verse 22. Fourthly, he says, you be kind-hearted. That's another way to you know, translate it. It means tender-hearted. In the first century Roman Empire, uh, that was rare. It was a cold-hearted, get out of my way or get ground into powder attitude. 
amongst the pagans. Okay? The tenderheartedness it allows you to enter into others' pain and others' difficulties and make a difference. Okay? You're, it isn't just tenderhearted, no, I feel for you, brother. No, you come alongside and you lift and you help because of the tenderheartedness that Holy Spirit has put there. Okay, fifthly, you've got humble in spirit. All right, this is not a passive doormat term. Remember what Jesus did on the night of the Last Supper where he took off his outer garments, put on the towel, if you will, of the, of the lowest servant in the house, and he went from disciple to disciple, and he washed their feet. That's what the lowliest servant in a household did. He, had, he, was, he was the Lord of the feast. He was the one who was going to lead them through the Passover. But he submitted himself to that low position. He chose it. Okay, and that's what Peter is saying. You be humble in spirit. You be ready to serve at whatever level it's called for. Sixth, he says, you don't go evil for evil. You don't come back insult for insult. Okay, Peter knew stuff was going on in the church. Peter had heard, there's some frac some factions. There's some people with difference of opinions. They, they were treating each other harsh. Okay? In this last five years, my brother-in-law, who is a Wycliffe missionary, had the opportunity to go on an island in Indonesia where for many generations, one side of the island had a church, the other side of the island had a different church, and they had a different opinion, and they fought and they bombed churches, and they killed each other in the name of Jesus. So it isn't just in first century stuff that Peter's addressing. That kind of evil for evil and curse for curse and insult for insult is still poured out sometimes in the church around the world. And my brother-in-law had a chance to go in and teach a, a course called, uh, you know, dealt with how to overcome conflict. Coming Together Through Conflict is the title of the course. And it has made a huge difference on that island. Now there's a covenant between the churches. Okay, There is not open warfare anymore. Now turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. Or you can just listen. Matthew 5 verse 43 and 44 says this. You have heard that it was said. These are the words of Jesus, mind you. Okay, You have heard that it is said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, I, Jesus, say to you, you love your enemies. And you pray for those that persecute you. Romans 12, 17 says this. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of God. 1 Thessalonians 5, 15 continues. I mean, so we're spreading this, Jesus and Paul. 5, 15 says... See that no one repays another with evil for evil, but always seek that which is good for one another and for all men. Okay, so this it's not a it's not an isolated problem in the church. Jesus could sense it in, in the culture he was addressing, and Paul sensed it, and now Peter senses it, and they speak right into that issue. You don't come back evil for evil. You do not return insult for insult. Rather, instead, you give a blessing. Now, Luke 6, 28 says, Bless those that curse you, bless, and you pray for those that mistreat you. So, brothers and sisters, Forest Church, okay, 
What do you do when, when you're cursed? When someone comes hard at you, you bless them. If somebody mistreats you, you pray for them. See, you're called for the purpose of inheriting a blessing. Okay, and that blessing that we're called to inherit is the full, final salvation. Going into the presence of the Lord Jesus when your days are numbered up. When you're done, that's where you go. Now, we all know, brothers and sisters in the church, you know, they, that their shiny salvation has become tarnished. It's got a little mildew growing on it. It's a little slick. It's slimy. Because they've been angry. They've been hurt. They've been cursed and they responded likewise. And they just don't know how to walk this out. That's where that kindness, that tenderheartedness, okay, that brotherly love, you come around the brothers and sisters and you draw them back in and you wash their feet with humility so that their salvation shines again. Now, Peter, Peter is using the scriptures here. That's the only scriptures he had. Remember, there were some circular letters from Paul to other churches. Peter read them. He quotes from them. Peter had already dictated his gospel message of this is how Jesus walked the earth, and this is how he dealt with his disciples. And I believe Peter dictated that through Mark, and we know it as the gospel of Mark. But it was Peter's account, okay? So, but Peter knows the Psalms because that was what was embedded in his heart. Okay? And, and he is quoting out of Psalm 34. You know, let him who means to love life and see good days refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking guile. Gotta watch your mouth, brothers and sisters. Okay? And let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Okay, the deal here, the upper word is turn. We all get caught in that. We all, there's always some loss of traction, some over hurts, especially hurts. Okay, the point is, you turn, you pivot, you go the other direction, you repent. Okay? Instead, you seek peace, you pursue it. Now, that was obviously in contrast, you know, he, he, Peter's speaking in contrast because the natural thing where you're cursed and you're hurt is, you know, you want to come back and win that battle. You want to put the opponent in their place. Peter says, uh-uh. Not your responsibility. Because, verse 12, for the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous. That's all the time. He sees it all. And then the next line, but the face of the Lord are against those that do evil. Okay? You know, no one escapes the view of God. And no one should think that God does not care. All right. Let's read chapter 3, verses 13 to 15. This is what it says. And who is there to harm you if you prove zealous? That's passionate. That's a passionate word. Passionate for the good. For what is good? Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for the good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear their intimidations and do not be troubled. No, you don't be terrified by that stuff. Instead, be, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to, to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence, and keep a good conscience, so that in the thing in which you are slandered, 
those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Paul said, Romans 8, verse 3, if God is for us, who could be against us? If God is for us, who could stand against us? Okay? John Knox, who was the 16th century Scottish reformer who came into Scotland and, and suddenly there was revival. Okay, there was an awakening. People came to Jesus. The nation was swept with the gospel. Okay? Knox said, when God is on his side, one man is always in the majority. Now you have to understand, Peter didn't finish the quote of Psalm 34, verse 16. He just gave you half of verse 16. The back half of Psalm 34, 16 says, God will cut off the memory of those evil ones from the earth. Promised to see you and bless you. But to those who do evil, his face is set against them and it says he will cut off the memory of those evil ones from the earth. Now certainly, there's the possibility of suffering for Christ. That's a real deal. Paul and Peter asked the rhetorical question, who is going to harm you? Well, they could sit there and kind of go, oh, there's Ralph, and there's the, this temple down the street that hates that there's a Christian living on the street. And you know, they, the people in the churches could make a list. Okay? And Peter comes right back and says, if you suffer, you do not in Matthew 5, verse 10, this is what Jesus said. This is, part, this is part of the Beatitudes. 5, verse 10. Blessed, joyful, happy are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So, in verse 14, Peter comes right in and says, Do not fear. It's a command. Do not be troubled. Don't be terrified. It's Isaiah chapter 8. He's just quoting scripture and he's saying, this is what the Lord says. Don't, do not fear. Do not be terrified. Rather, you sanctify. You set Christ up as Lord in your hearts. You dedicate that place in your heart. He is Lord in your heart. So you're not to fear and not be troubled. And you sanctify Christ in your heart. So these, this is a little snippet of verse from Caroline Noel. She's a poet. This is what she says on the subject. In your hearts enthrone him. There let him subdue all that is not holy. All that is not true. That applies to you. And that applies to those that come against you. Now. He continues in verse 15 and he says, and always, you're always supposed to be ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that's in you. So, so what is this hope that is in you? That word hope is the expectant, patient, disciplined, confident waiting that you have that Jesus as son who accomplished your salvation, and the Father who made the promise, and Holy Spirit who's working in you, you are waiting for the conclusion of the salvation that, he's, that they're working inside of you. <clears throat> now, this business of always being ready to make a defense 
to want to ask you. Let me, let me describe what that is not, what that does not mean. Okay? Here, Peter's not saying you speak indiscriminately of your faith, that you tweet it back and forth, that you toss it into one-liners on Facebook, that you make jokes about it. You know, oh, I was up this morning, the Lord woke me up. And you, know, and you start talking to unbelievers and they look at you like, you are crazy. Or worse, okay? They want to hear nothing of that. Okay, you don't you do it casually. You don't do it jokingly. And you, and you don't speak with anger of your faith. You know, where you might say, I know the scriptures, and that, that candidate over there, he's just, he's just the slime of the earth. Okay? You don't go after somebody as you're, you know, publicly, okay, with your defense of the gospel because of somebody else's actions. There's no anger in this, in this defense. In Matthew 7, okay, verse 6, it says, Do not give what is holy to dogs, and do not throw your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. See, Jesus knew when to speak and when not to speak. Simon Kistemacher kind of amplifies that where he says, You must know when to speak. You must know how far you speak. And you must know to whom you speak. See, there's a time to speak and a time not to speak. Okay? Rather, rather, Peter says rather, you do this, you make a reasonable defense against verbal, verbal attacks and hostility. When someone comes and challenges you and would, would say, so what is it you believe? Okay? You're being asked directly. Okay? And your response, then, is to be a direct witness. Now, since the time of Greece, ancient Greece, the term witness means someone who is called in front of judges or a crowd and sworn, they're put under oath to tell the truth, and then they are only allowed to give first-person testimony, first-person information, first-person knowledge, first-person experience. Nothing about my mama. Nothing about the... I heard this report from, from Romania. Nothing, nothing that is not personal. Okay? It has to be you. Okay? <clears throat> and then, Peter sets the borders and the boundaries for that always being ready to give a defense. Okay? He says, you do it with gentleness. That's, that's power under control. Okay? In other words, you are not to answer in a high-handed, demeaning, domineering way. That You are not to get into a debate. You're not to shout down your opponent. Okay? You're not to treat him as an ignorant fool. Now, brothers and sisters, I have been in debate settings okay, where a Christian wasn't respectful with their response. I've heard men, apologists on the radio, who just savaged their opponents with their words. That's not being gentle. And then second, Peter says, respect them. Respect the one who's asking. Respect the opponent. Because some of those men, some of those women, are on their way to Jesus. And they were just like you were. They are just like you were. You didn't know Jesus, now you do. Okay? And they're on the way, so you respect their choices. 
And lastly, verse 16 says, and you keep a good conscience. You walk this out with your words and your appearance and your facial recognition. You know, you don't have to snarl, the snarl on your face, but you're trying to say something soft. doesn't work. Okay? You do it with purity, and you beware. You just be careful. You just be constantly aware of how sneaky the self inside of you is. Man, it would feel so good to just smack down that opponent, put him in his place, you know, win that argument. Okay, that's not what Peter's saying. Okay, you have to be aware that your place is to be gentle and respectful and you keep a good conscience. It's not about winning the argument. It is not about winning the war. You put the evidence out in front of people. You are a witness, not a judge. So that when you're lied against, this is what Peter says, when you're lied against, when you're insulted, when you're slandered, when you're falsely accused, okay, your beautiful, excellent behavior answers for you. Said the same thing in chapter 2, verse 11. Okay? So let's read verse 17 together. Verse 17 says, For it's better if God should will it so that you suffer for doing what is right rather than doing what is wrong. Okay? This is a repeat of chapter 2, verse 20. Okay? Peter wants your conscience to be free from guilt. He wants you to go at this just like Jesus did. Where he's accused and he's suffering. Okay? But Jesus kept entrusting himself to him, to the Lord God, who judges righteously. You do that too. If it is so that you have to suffer, then do it like Jesus did it. So, Forge family, Peter's teaching, actually it's his preaching style. Teaching, you lay out content and you move on. Preaching style goes back and reiterates and goes back and reiterates. So this is much more a preaching style from Peter. And he goes, keeps coming back to the basics. And so here they are. You be like-minded. You be filled with appropriate feelings for one another. You rejoice or you weep. Okay? You be filled with brotherly love. You be tender-hearted and you act on it. You be humble in spirit, just like Jesus. Now, there's no giving back of wrong for wrong or insult for insult. You be a blessing okay? when you speak to people. You be seeking peace. You be aware of God's eyes that are on you. Now, if you suffer for Christ, you do not lose. And you be ready to verbally, appropriately be a witness to defend the hope that is in you. But you do it gently and respectfully. And you keep a clean conscience. So all of this, all of this, so let me say it again, all of this list doesn't happen because it's church code. You sign the document, I'm going to join the church, I'm going to be like-minded, I'm going to be humble in spirit, I'm going to bless people. No, it doesn't work that way. I guarantee it. All of this comes from the hidden place of the heart where Holy Spirit is transforming you to enter in with others who are being like-minded and transformed the same way, who are being humble and transformed the same way, etc. Now, let me return to this business of, of the defense. Okay, we're, we're always supposed to be ready, and we're always supposed to tell clearly how you came to know and serve and love Jesus. 
And you're supposed to be able to tell why you hope in him for your salvation. So, Forge family, brothers and sisters scattered abroad, I want you to practice that. This is homework. You take a piece of paper, and in less than a, a double-spaced, one page of double-spaced type, I want you to put down how you came to know, serve, and love Jesus, and why you hope in him. And if you can do it in three to four minutes, you, you know you've already got a lot more you can say. You can give personal testimony and along the way you can say, you know, I've been there. I went to the mission field. I saw this. I was at church and this happened. You know, you could talk about some other stuff, but for you to be ready to give a quick, gentle, direct, simple answer, you've got to practice that. Okay? And you answer, learn, and, and I suggest you practice it with the possibility of who's going who's to get in your face. If you already know somebody that's going to get in your face when they ask, you practice your gentleness. You practice with power under control to answer with respect. Now, Forge family, remember, there are unbelieving ones who are watching you and testing you and watching your life, testing your life and your faith. So, Peter says it, I say it. You start to live beautiful, glorious lives in front of them. You live out Jesus in front of them and see what happens. All right, Forge family, I love you. We'll see you soon.